working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and my conversation today is with Ian Chang of the band Sun Lux. Ian was born in Hong Kong and lived there until age 14 when he began attending boarding school in New Jersey. He was on track to study classical percussion at Juilliard, but decided against it at the last minute in favor of drum set and all the other types of music New York had to offer. Ian has just released his first solo album called Spiritual Leader, which features a new kind of electronic percussion by Sunhouse called Sensory Percussion. Ian was a part of the development and beta testing of this technology. As always, you can find us at workingdrummer.net, where you can check out old episodes, learn more about who we are. You can also find a link to our Patreon page, or just go to patreon.com slash workingdrummer if you'd like to contribute a little money each month to help keep the podcast going strong. There are some great incentives there for donations at any level, including t-shirts and stickers, access to bonus content, a free lesson with one of our past guests, such as Ben Caesar or Carter McLean, or the chance to be interviewed on an episode of Working Drummer. You can donate as much or as little as you see fit, starting at $1 a month, and every donation at any level is greatly appreciated. I'd like to introduce you all to Crush Drums by telling you about one of their new lines. They are offering a brand new birch kit called the Sublime Birch Series. The Sublime Birch is 100% North American birch. Here's Crush's own Terry Platt talking about some of the cool features of the Sublime Birch Series. One thing that Crush has always done is on our 14-inch floor toms, we do a 14 by 13. It's got the fullness and depth of a 14 by 14 tom, but you can also, tuning range-wise, manipulate it to sound more like a 14 by 12 for the guys that, that enjoy that tone as well. It also includes the hoop saver claws that we developed where we actually have the rubber grommet under the claw protruding through the front of the claw. So if somebody grabs their drum set and sets it down, say on concrete, you know, claw side down, it doesn't scratch up everything. And here's one of my favorite things about what Crush is doing. The bearing edges are cut a little more specifically for the drums. Our standard edge is a, you know, kind of a double 45 and the outside is rounded over so you get some more head contact with the shell. On the bass drum, you'll notice that the resonant side is even rounder than that and then the uh, batter side is going to be a little bit sharper just so you get that nice snap out of the kick but the resonant head really brings the whole shell into the equation of the tone you can also find a link to the new sublime birch series in our show notes and see the beautiful finishes and configurations they offer in the near future we've got much more to share in regard to crush drums and this dynamic company for now check out crush drums at crushdrum.com So this is quite a tech-centric conversation, and it did me a lot of good. If you're like me, you may have been resistant to incorporating electronics into your kit for a variety of reasons, uh, but talking with Ian about electronics and, and about sensory percussion in particular helped me think about it differently and made it easier to get my head and hands around. Uh, and it was cool to hear about his childhood in China and his classical background. I also want to mention that you'll be hearing some new interstitial music on this episode. Just a few little things I recorded with Spencer Garn at his spot, Diamond Street Studios, here in Atlanta. So big thanks to Spencer for his time and talent in making that happen. So here we go. I hope you dig Ian Chang.
six song EP and the whole thing was made sort of using this technology, sensory percussion mm-hmm. that I've been messing around with for at least like a year and a half or so right now. Because uh, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to beta test it. So I've been on that for a while and it was kind of, um, so I've been a drummer for a number of years and like kind of, you know, especially like nowadays it's like I was there, there was like a good chunk of those years where I was interested in making beats and like doing production stuff, but never really like found, like knew how to like approach it with like any kind of fresh energy or like any kind of focus. Cause it is just like, Oh, well, I can like make anything. It's also like hard to like know what to contribute when there's like so much stuff like being made in that way, you know? Yeah. What I mean? Yeah. It's kind of uh, a little bit oversaturated and I don't know. I just never felt like encouraged enough to like really take the time to learn the new skills I needed to learn to do it. But when Sunhouse came along and I was beta testing, I was like, Oh, this is actually potentially like a unique window into doing that. Um, yeah. So I kind of took that opportunity and made this EP um, completely using that technology and I like set some pretty hard limitations on myself mm-hmm. um, for it where basically none of the, every track is like a single unedited live take with no overdubs. Yeah. And that's the, that was like sort of the idea, at least to get started. I wanted to like jump in, in a way that was focusing on playing, even though there's zero acoustic sounds except for like samples that are acoustic, you know? Right. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so are, are these, are these tracks improvised or preconceived or a combination of both? It's a combination of both. There's like probably two of them are like pretty preconceived, maybe three. And then, um, with like, you know, some wiggle room for, for, uh, freedom in moments, um, like how, how many number of reps is this thing or things like that. And then there's three that are like, have sort of themes that I hit but mm-hmm. how I get from one to the other is a bit of a question mark. And mm-hmm. it's just a matter of like experimenting and doing, doing a bunch of takes and um, picking the right one. Yeah. Right. So it was, it wasn't a process of like laying something down and then putting something over it. It was like, let's There's try no this take. Anything over on anything. Right. Right. <laughs> Which was frustrating, but <laughs> a fun challenge. And I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm, my, ear, my ears felt, lately like a little bit i mean still love a lot of music i'm not like a crank but like gets a little tiring sometimes listening to like electronically produced music that's like always gridded or even if it's slippery it's like always to some kind of loop and yeah it's very you know it's ingrained in our minds and it's actually an interesting thing when i was working on this record they were like because, you know, I didn't do overdubs or anything like that or edit any of the timing of the hits. But, like, when it comes time to mixing, you, like, decide, like, how you want it to sound kind of. Mm-hmm. And I, one thing I noticed is, like, the more pristine I made certain things sound, the worse the pocket got. <laughs> <laughs> I think our ears are so used to hearing certain types of sounds, like, 100%, like, uh, you know, looped or, or like, just per- perfect. Um, so it's, yeah. it, it becomes disorienting. Um it seems like the development of this technology and and we'll we'll talk about what exactly that technology is but it seems like the development of it one of the 
one of the goals and objectives was to make you know electronic sounds and that electronic landscape sound and feel more organic, more improvisational, um, and more handmade. Is that is that the case? Yeah, totally. I, I think the idea, um, you know, and I know the person Talakael who like invented Sunhouse Sensory Percussion and. We definitely both share a similar MO of like, oh, it's like, it's an interesting time to explore, you know, like you said, like handmade, you can like feel the human element like behind something that might not like sound like it exists in the regular like physical space. Right, right. I I know what you mean about a lot of electronic music and it's, it's my beef with it too, is it just sounds like somebody hit space bar and stood there totally yeah so, or like someone like spent hours hours like meticulously like creating this beautiful swiss watch that they're like here like check out this watch which is cool but like when every single thing is just like like done in that way where it's just like the human in- ingenuity goes into like sort of the uh perfecting of a thing you right know what i mean right. and it was tough there there are definitely moments on the ep that are hairy and i'm just like i just like i had to like be like do i want to leave it Mm-hmm. Or do I want to edit it? Because it's so easy to edit. It's so right. tempting to just, be, you know, what I mean, yeah. but like, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna not edit it, and it's people are gonna have to deal with it, and Good. I'm gonna have to deal with it. And Good. It's like it's like taking a, you know, it's like recording a jazz song or something. Like you got that take, and okay. and that like that's the solo you want. But in the middle of that solo, there was this little thing, and and you're just gonna leave it there. That's that's gonna be on the record. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like real life or something (laughs) (laughs) or or something um so so talk about what exactly this technology is what the hardware is what the software is and and how how it's used it is um there so you you get sensors um which uh like attached to your drum Mm -hmm. and they're basically like uh microphones um like they receive audio Mm -hmm. um and they actually need phantom power too, which is interesting. But um, and a lot of people focus on the sensors being like the main thing, but that's like the hardware. But like really, the power of it comes in the software. So the software is basically like, uh, based on machine learning, where it takes the what the sensors are picking up, and you know through an audio interface, it goes to your computer, and then it goes into the software, and basically it can learn how and where you're hitting the drum. Mm-hmm. You know? So, for example, when you get started, you like put the sensor on your drum, and it it it'll vary from drum to drum, which is kind of a challenge sometimes because you have to like continually train. But like, there's a training process where you you like pick zone center of head or something, and then you hit the center of the head in like a variety of ways that you might hit at like rolls and single strokes and loud and soft, like maybe about like fifty to seventy hits or something like that. Mm-hmm. Usually do. And then after you do that, that's then then the software understands that like oh like anything that sounds within this timbral kind of zone is the center of the drum. Right. Right. And when Ian hits it that way, um, then I'm going to recognize that, and he can like map whatever he wants to that zone. And then I can do the same for the edge. There's like the rim tip, rim shoulder, rim shot center, rim shot edge, stick shot, cross stick. Like you can recognize all these different things. Like right. Ten different ones. I never use them all because it's insane. But, <laughs> um, and that's that's cool. But honestly, like the real special thing about this software, you know, because like ten different zones on one drum, like kind of 
is cool and it, like kind of recognizing all of these things that are very drummer kind of specific you know like a rim shot or but the real cool thing to me is that you can blend between these zones which is like a new kind of thing i think like where uh, for example if i have center to edge you can you can turn blends off which would mean like when i hit the center it's like sample a when i hit the edge it's sample b mm-hmm but you can also have blend on, which means when I'm moving from the center to the edge, the center sound starts to like fade out as the edge sound starts to fade in. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of move seamlessly between samples, and with that type of information, and you can stop me at any moment if this is like getting. No, no, no. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Cool. But like, uh, you can use that, for example, to be like, oh well, from center to edge, that's a motion that the computer is recognizing. Like, I can map that to a knob mm-hmm. and suddenly you're able to be like oh well how about when i move from the center of the edge the pitch of the sample uh like goes up and right when i move back down it goes down or when i move from the center of the edge like the feedback on the delay for the sound like goes up yeah you know like, yeah. like doing it yeah like there's like and then the possibilities get crazy like you can get oh well what if I use the velocity of the rim of the floor time to control a saturator on the entire kit? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's like all kinds of weird little things you can find. So I just found myself like exploring these different ways of sort of stringing together like a really dynamic kind of electronic environment mm-hmm. on just a four-piece kit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I use mesh heads, by the way. So right, right. Like That's another thing I was going to ask about, like the the video, and we'll post this video on the cool. on the episode page so that yeah. people can kind of see and hear exactly cool. how this works. But I've I've seen some videos with mesh heads where the sounds are just completely electronic, but you can also do regular heads and combine the acoustic sound of the drums with these. Are they triggered sounds? Is it technically a trigger? Is that what it is? I think the company is really hesitant to use that word, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I guess like you hit it <laughs> and it's like, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, if you think about the triggers that you might, or the, a lot of these listeners, like your listeners might be familiar with like the rolling ones and stuff. It's, it's a similar idea, but mm-hmm. it's like a lot more sensitive and a lot more expressive, I guess. Right. And it seems more yeah. customizable. Very customizable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, so what are the differences? Are, I mean, are there differences in um, this technology's capability in the studio versus live? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because I think a lot of people are focusing on it as a live tool. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it's a really powerful studio tool. Um, but that's also because I kind of approached it. I know a lot of people, for example, who got a gig for someone and they will bring in their Sunhouse thing to try to incorporate that and like translate this person's music. But for me, I like created music based on what's possible with the software in a way, you know? Yeah, so yeah. there's like some production stuff that like you can just like do, you can just imagine it in like, like knobs flying around based on like how you're hitting things. Like there's just like, you can easily track stuff like in a way that like has very, especially if you do it, uh, through the MIDI route, like you can like get like crazy automations tracked that would you would never draw or program. There's like no way, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, and you can get like some some pretty fresh sounding things pretty easily that way. I think. Um, yeah. And I've used it as a production tool 
for sure. I've started to do some remixes too, mm-hmm. where I'm a little less strict about like the note, like one take kind of like, you know, where I'm just like kind of trying to, but I'm still using it to track pretty much like all the elements and things like that. And it's like, it's, I feel like a lot of producers that I know that work in the box, um, are always trying to find new techniques of giving their thing sound like it has a little bit of life, which means like making it slightly less gridded, but it's still gridded, you know? Right. Yeah. And like, this is a good tool to like have like the life dial, like way up. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, is this, is this something that you would recommend for, for drummers who, um, don't have a lot of experience with incorporating electronics into their sound, into their set, um, or is this a more a more advanced thing? Do you have to kind of have some electronic chops in place? Mm, I think you need to know certain things, but at the same time, so there's definitely a pretty steep learning curve to like really get deep in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like pretty. Uh, you can sort of pl- plug and play, especially because Sunhouse has done a good job of having like really amazing um preset kits right i was gonna ask does this yeah. does this have a brain are there pre-programmed things or uh, the brain is is the software so it's on the computer okay um, yeah it's not, sadly yeah. it's not hardware but it's really stable and getting set up takes a little bit of you know it's like oh i have to like set this my buffer size to 128 so like now i have latency and blah. there's like these things that are like technical things that you just need to kind of go through but the user user manual is very easy to understand um, and you can like get through it. And then once you're like at a certain point, you can just like scroll through a bunch of kits and like try it. And I've totally used these things like on like improvised sets, like, or recording sessions, like some of these kits. And I look to these kits for, cause the guy who designs them, this guy, um, Steven is such a, like, he's so smart and like, I don't know. There's some kids where I'll be like playing. I'm like, I have no idea how he did this. And I know, (laughs) you know, I'm pretty like decent at this software and like, I'll I'll go into the kit to like learn stuff. Uh, But yeah, there's so many preset kits already and they're a wide range ranging from like a kit that basically sounds acoustic. Like they mapped it out with like rim shots and everything to kind of like match an acoustic feel. You can like go from anything from that to like some crazy like space age stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, watching watching you play this stuff and watching other drummers uh, play yeah. this technology, it's it's interesting how sparse your playing becomes um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the various sounds that are that the system is capable of. Um, yeah, it, you know, it fills up a lot of space. There are so many That's long true. tones, bass notes, chords, like all this stuff. Totally. Um, and so I was going to ask, like, how how has this technology kind of changed your approach to coordination and independence and speed and all the all the drummy stuff that were all the drummy stuff yeah <laughs> it's funny i'll find myself like weeks now like in this hole where like i haven't touched an acoustic kit and it's a totally different i mean it's still drums and it translates really easily to a certain degree but one thing that i had to like really work to get on the total mesh head kit it was like a pocket Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder. I, I just straight up. I think when you don't have a physical hi hat, or you don't have, you know, and obviously I've seen also people, and I've in certain situations I'll use this technology in conjunction with some live stuff, and it's like, but like if it's just mesh heads, it's like a different feeling, and yeah. it, it, mesh heads are so bouncy, and it's like 
you can't lay into them the same way you do with like uh, regular heads and um, it's a different response so it's something to get used to you don't need to hit as hard I use much smaller sticks when I uh, play on this this setup mm-hmm. um, and um, speed wise it's great because it's so bouncy you can do stuff that you'd never be able to do on the kit like crazy like I don't know I feel like there's some drummers who have like seen my spiritual spiritual v- leader video and it's kind of misleading because like there's stuff I'm doing on there that like I can't do on a kit like where you can just, <laughs> like one stroke is like you know like, right like, right um, uh, it's pretty liberating in that way but yeah you definitely have to depending on what you've kind of set up for yourself in the environment um you definitely have to kind of really think compositionally about what you're playing um and it's kind of the perfect thing for me because i'm not like a speed junkie and i don't have i also don't have like the independence thing is interesting like i think there's people who with true independence and then there's people like me who are able to learn things that sound like i have independence yeah i'm <laughs> you know with you I mean? i'm, with, I'm can, in like, your camp for sure <laughs> i can get like the muscle memory happening and like even if it's like maybe kind of tricky or complicated i can like make it happen with like discipline discipline and practice but i can't like do like a crazy ostinato like between like my two feet and like solo completely freely over my head you know right. what I mean? i'm yeah. not like yeah drummer and i wish i was sometimes but it is what it is and i'm working on it but um yeah the it's interesting with independence too because you when you start to think of things like oh these are the chords and this is the melody and this is you like you kind of the more you think like a producer where things are in layers, like yeah, it's fun to try to figure out ways to challenge yourself. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's cool. You mentioned thinking compositionally because I think as, as drummers we're we're trained to think orchestrationally, yeah. you know, combining all these sounds into a single kind of voice, but we, you know, it's not very often that we think compositionally and, and uh, I can, I can see that this technology like opens up, all those possibilities and it might totally yeah because it, it kind of like does a thing where when you start messing with it it's like pretty quickly you can find something at least for me where i'm like this is a cool thing like this is a theme musical theme of sorts but then very quickly it's kind of like okay well like what what now after that you know? <laughs> right <laughs> yeah right. what's 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 going to be the the bridge and how do we get there <laughs> yeah. um is this a thing like the the videos I've seen have the basically the whole kit wired up like a four piece mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but is is this a thing where you could have just one drum could you have your auxiliary snare rigged up I've, I mean is I've that used, I've, yeah definitely I've used it in that scenario before um especially it's really conducive to improvised settings I find which is not the case for like triggers before this I mm-hmm. think yeah in general well because and I've used Roland triggers for years, actually, before using this. But they're just like more one-dimensional, and they're really good for a certain thing, especially in like more pop and songwriter contexts where you need a thing that's like just going to do the thing reliably. Right. But um, it's yeah, it's been fun. Like sometimes I'll have, for example, maybe, and you can put on acoustic drums too. So mm-hmm. sometimes, like I, for this one, um, for this one group, uh, Rafik Badia, who plays, he's this guitarist that I play with. My setup with him is like I have a trigger on the kick, a trigger on the snare, but they're both acoustic. Mm-hmm. So I'm layering his samples with the with like the acoustic sound of the drums in mind, and then 
I have two auxiliary mesh heads and like a floor tom and cymbals and hi hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like I, I know I, I've done improvised gigs where it's just like a full regular drum kit and then one mesh head on the side to fire off like some textures and sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Expressive way. So yeah, there's it's kind of like there's no rules on how to use it and that's the cool thing. And I think the uh, sign of a powerful technology is when like. I don't know, everyone I see, I mean, a lot of the videos are those mesh heads because that's like people going to the office and trying it out. But like, right. people are using it out in the world. Like Greg Fox just put out a solo record. He His setup is very different than mine and approach is very different than mine. Um, there's this guy, Arthur Hinatek, who um, is an amazing drummer. I just saw him play last night on like a sensory kit. And it was mesh heads, but like he was using cymbals and like other sequencing and programming. It was like totally different. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of my, uh, I, I live in Atlanta and one of my favorite mm-hmm. bassists here is a, a guy named Robbie Handley. Um, and we were doing a gig together last week and, and talking mm-hmm. about the electronic thing and incorporating electronic drum sounds into live performances. And, yes. and he said, he said, I really want to challenge all the drummers that I know to, to get hip to this shit. Um, mm. You know, what, whatever it is, whether it's, it's old, you know, an old 808 or Look. brand new stuff like this, like get hip to it because it's, you know, it's, it's what's happening. And it's not, you know, I think a lot of drummers, myself included, have, have up until recently thought of the electronic thing as like seeding ground. To, mm-hmm. to electronics and it's like I no I want right. to play my acoustic drums like we mm-hmm. <laughs> we can make mm-hmm. these sound good but I, you know I, I'm starting to think of it as I'm not I'm not seeding ground I'm actually taking more ground I'm claiming uh, I'm claiming like, some like of that, that landscape for for yeah. the drum chair you know totally yeah no I think it's you know drummers roles are expanding in that way and even if it is a seeding ground for some like there are a lot of producers i feel like that are drummers like like or have some background in drumming like, yeah Anna. Um, and also um yeah it's it's interesting because it's you know i'm still relatively young or whatever but even within my time of i've been probably touring for six or seven years like pretty regularly and seeing a lot of drummers with a lot of bands you know mm-hmm. um and even when i first moved to new york to like I remember just basically like the advent of like the fact that an SPDS is like the most common thing to see, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I remember when like it was like still pretty new, like you'd see like a few people using it, but like mostly people weren't. And then like, and then you'd start seeing it at like gigs and festivals where it's like, oh, like every drummer has an SPDS now. <laughs> oh, and every drummer knows how he's able to can set up a session that, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like become. Almost like, I don't know, and I've definitely gotten calls for gigs where they're like, hey, like, are you, like, must be Ableton for proficient. Boom, right there. It's like, that's like, it's like people are already like lumping the things together, you know what I mean? Right. Like, as the drummer who like plays in some electronic projects, you need to know how to like do certain things kind of. That being said, it's like, I think that um, at the same time, if you're just like an old soul and that doesn't speak to you, then like, you know, you also shouldn't force it. You know, I mean, it's like kind right, of like, right. I feel like, uh, you know, people come in all shapes and sizes and walks of life. And I think that's cool. And yeah, I'm never going to like be the one to like, I, I never want to tell people to be like, you have like, you know, it's 2017, man. Like you got to do this because like I have friends too, who like don't touch that stuff and like, they're amazing at what they do. And it's like a beautiful thing. You know? Right. Yeah. 
right. and like they can expand in that way infinitely always you know what I mean? so yeah yeah i mean i was i was thinking this morning about uh you know this this interview we were going to do and and the conversation i had with robbie about about uh you know electronics and i was like i've you know I'm I'm still trying to figure out the goddamn acoustic drums. Like I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm I mean, still striving to make myself sound yeah. good on those, and and now yeah, I got to yeah. incorporate this whole other thing. So it seems daunting it's at first for someone. Yeah, who, it's overwhelming. And you know, you know, I've had people ask me like, "Oh, do, does it um, come at the expense of?" You know, when I say I haven't played acoustic kit in like weeks, does mm-hmm. it like hurt me? And you know, yeah, like if I, I I'll feel a little rusty when I come back, but. I can get it back and it's just a matter of like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we get really caught up in like being like, Oh man, like how are my Latin chops? Oh man. How are my like, uh, I don't know. Like how's my like uptempo swing chops? Like, but like at the end of the day, unless, unless like it's natural to you to like, just like be the guy who can like master all these things. It's like, you gotta, go with what inspires you and spend you know as long as you're spending time doing something that's like pushing yourself in some way i think that's cool you know what i mean and like if you're not mowing the lawn for those things like some things will have to kind of suffer that's just like the way it is and like i don't care who you are for the most part every drummer like i feel like has like things like that yeah that like like little like skeletons in their closet (laughs) do you know uh do you know gintis janisonis I don't. He's a he's a New York uh, drummer um, cool. who I interviewed a couple yes. weeks ago, and, and you know he's he's incorporating some electronics into his playing too. Um, and and we were talking about you know how every every style, every genre of drumming has a different touch and a different feel. And if you've been playing a bunch of jazz gigs and you find yourself on a soul gig or a hip hop gig, like there's there's a little bit there's a little bit of adjustment that you go through where you're like, totally. oh yeah, I need this sound, I need this kind of stroke. Totally, um, yeah. And it's interesting how you said the, you know, whether it's the mesh heads or just using this interface in general, it's just, it's a different touch. It's a different stroke. It is and, a different touch. Yeah. And I think if, you know, if, if drummers think of it as just another, uh, just another genre, it's not, it's not completely changing who they are as a player. It's not completely <laughs> changing who they are as a person. It's just, you know, it's a different stroke from the jazz gig. It's a different totally, touch totally. than the, than the rock gig. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Like, yeah, it's it, it feels less daunting that way too. Right, right. And also, I think, um, yeah, it's just you know, drumming to begin with as like an instrument is, I think, the only instrument that is not limited to a specific instrument. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's not like the violin, like or the French horn or the piano or, I mean, drumming, you know, people get into drumming, you like sign up to be exploring different things constantly. And like, you know, there's can hit just about anything. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I was going to say it's, <laughs> so it's, that's it's like hitting stuff a, and stuff, yeah, it's can, stuff so. can be anything. Yeah. So like, I think, I feel like it's like, it should be relatively no brainer thing for drummers to like kind of accept that. Like, Oh, like, um, you know, I should be able to kind of be flexible and like feel like, you know, and I'll also like, I, I like growing up, I did a lot of like classical kind of training and there's like touch is such an important in that stuff too. And like, yeah. Oh, like the way you hit the, t- like 
there's like different schools of thought on like how you hit the timpani. Yep. It's, it's crazy actually. It, <laughs> it's yeah. I, I did a, I did a classical degree. I, I'm, yeah. So, you know, I, you I'm, know, I'm very well. yeah. yeah. Or like different schools of thought on how to like hit the crash symbol or even right. like hit the triangle. It's like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, man. Yeah. And it's you, real. Like you can hear the difference. So it's like these things touch really matters for drummers. Right. Like, you and you like you go to PASIC and and all the companies have eighteen different triangle beaters and eighteen different weights. <laughs> yeah. And you look at it and you're like, really? We need all this? And then you hear the differences between each one. You're like, oh yeah, I guess I guess we do. Yeah. Okay. Attention <laughs> to detail. Yeah. Matters. Yeah. Your background is, is the other big thing that I, I wanted to talk about. You're mm-hmm. born born and raised in Hong Kong. That's right. Yeah. Um, so so tell us about growing up in Hong Kong and the musical landscape in China and 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 all that. I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, so I was born in Hong Kong in '88, mm-hmm. and uh, it was still a British colony at the time. Right. So it's funny, like. Hong Kong and China are like pretty, actually they're pretty divided. Like also just like net right now, like lately there's a lot of tension between the two. So it's, it's, um, Hong Kong ends up being like a pretty unique kind of microcosm, you know, mm-hmm. it's this tiny Island. It's smaller than, you know, the boroughs of New York city by a lot, uh, wow. physically. Mm-hmm. And, um, it has like profound Western influences, including in, including, but not limited to, obviously, the way in which people learn how to play music. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the way people learn music in general in Hong Kong is, like, through taking these exams. Like, it's, like, all this Royal Academy stuff, like, yeah. British stuff. Like, there's, like, grades one through eight, and, like, it's understood. Like, everyone is, like, anyone who's, fa- like, lucky enough to come from a family that's affluent enough to, like, have kids, like, take piano lessons, it's, like, Oh, like what grade are you at? And there's like theory and like all this stuff. And, and Mm. I like came up in like this very academic musical kind of scenario where I was like, it was really academic where it's like, Oh, like these are the grades and these are the tests you take Mm -hmm. for percussion, piano, ear training and theory. And it was actually really good for me, you know, but I think for a lot, it like creates a negative relationship between them and music. Yeah. Um, but for me, I kind of, I guess I liked it enough to kind of continue on after that. I ended up going to high school at a boarding school in New Jersey. So I left Hong Kong when I was 14. Um, okay. But, was that, was yeah. that your permanent move to the States or were you kind of, yeah, I've been forth? here since. Yeah. So I've been in the tri-state area since 2000. Um, I'm really bad at remembering when things happen. <laughs> Since 2003, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah, I've spent like half my life uh, here now. So. Yeah. So, was it uh, classical piano or classical percussion or both that you started classical piano when I was six, and then I was like, drumming is sick. So I started. <laughs> I, like, I like started like doing like classical percussion. Um, and I was on that track. I was like about to go to school for get the same degree that you have, mm-hmm. um, but I like, pulled out like super last minute. Like um, decided I didn't want to do it. But um, did that? Yeah, did that, was, uh, did that ruffle feathers? <laughs> it did a bit because I was um, I was in like the pre college program at Juilliard, and, uh, yeah, and I dropped out. Like I didn't finish it. 
like, and I kind of like basically bailed on my final recital. And mm. it was like this huge thing with my teachers there. And at that age, like, it was a huge deal, you know. Now looking back, it's like it's cool, and they were supportive. I think they got it. Um, right. So I like, I ended up like applying to jazz programs instead, but. Yeah. Sorry, what was your question again? Well, we were talking about, like, when you were a kid, getting into classical piano, then classical percussion. Oh, percussion at nine. Yeah, um, totally. And, and I, I was wondering, like, what, what is the attitude in uh, China? And I, I know Hong Kong is kind of separate and different from China. But, I mean, among your parents and among their peers, uh, what, what is the attitude towards a life in music? Like, when their kid says, I want to play music for a living. What? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's, you know... There's a analogy in Chinese culture. Um, it's Tiafan uh, Wan, which means like a metal rice bowl. Mm-hmm. Is literally what it means. Um, but what it means means is like a job that is really secure, kind of like a metal rice bowl that will feed you for life. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, life in music is the opposite of that. And, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, um, it's very unconventional still. Like, I think people, it's a culture that is, uh, generally really, uh, values like pragmatism and, um, just kind of like taking care of yourself and, um, dependability, predictability. Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong specifically is, got to be one of the most expensive places to live in the world it's more expensive than new york or san francisco yeah by kind of like a, like noticeably and <laughs> what that means is like there's no it's really hard for the arts to kind of um flourish there in certain ways especially like more niche and underground things mm-hmm. can't really develop scenes also because it's small and kind of isolated it's hard right. Right. But lately in China, there's been a lot of cool stuff happening, especially like in beat music uh, making culture. There's a lot of really cool producers, experimental stuff, a lot of hip hop artists and mm-hmm. rappers like rapping in Chinese, um, getting more and more attention. And the industry there is just also way more wide open than it is here. Like there's less gatekeepers and kind of like thing, you know, like kind of things because everything's a little bit fresh in China right now. So China is actually, I think, fertile ground right now creatively uh, for certain types of music um and because there's also a pretty like uh, i know like beijing has at this point had a history of like kind of uh weirder arty rock bands and stuff Um, Hmm. like people who are like huge fans of television and stuff like that yeah yeah opening clubs and like having having kind of communities around it Uh, and was that was that around when you when you were growing up like were there clubs to go to were there bands to see was there's nothing uh, for me because I left when I was 14, so I was, right, right. I was a kid. And, you know, I'd go back to Hong Kong and play, like, in, like, cover bands and stuff with people. Um, but Hong Kong is Hong Kong is still a little tough, and I haven't... Maybe there's something I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. I've been away so long. I pretty much only spend family time back there. And I, I've played a couple jazz gigs back there that have been cool with some great players who are from out there but also have moved elsewhere now. Um but yeah, the Hong Kong musician community is not big. There's not many of us. Mm. And especially outside of the classical world, it's really small. Yeah. Um, but yeah. When when you started shifting your focus from from classical percussion to drum set, 
what mm-hmm. like what are you listening to who are you checking out who who did you idolize and and uh <laughs> and emulate and what you know what did you think the the direction of your drum set playing was going to take i think that probably I was like really obsessed with Brian Blade for a long time and still am. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just like the most incredible musical fo- like force behind the kit. Yeah. Um, but in high school, I was like really into him, and like as a result, you know, just kind of like doing the thing where you like find out like what preceded and then you're like getting into Elvin and Tony and Max and like so I was like you know I I caught a jazz bug for a bit. Um, yeah, and uh, I think there's a lot of things that I took from that style of playing. And in fact, I think if people see me play now, especially on acoustic kit, it's like I don't think people would ever assume that I had a pretty heavy classical background, right? Um, through high school, because I think what I took from it is not super obvious. Um, but what I took from jazz is definitely more obvious. I mm-hmm. think, yeah. But those are the guys I was checking out. And, you know, they're like, yeah, I think like there was, you know, that period of time where like I would go to whatever that site was, like Drummer's World or Drummer World. And like, right. All, you know, like wow. So many great drummers. I yeah. Still how it is now. It's like, oh my God, so many awesome drums. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. But yeah, Brian Blade was huge. And like, I'd say maybe like Tony, Max, and Elvin were really big influences. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not. Like I'm not like a jazz player, really. Right. I would say I am now. I spent time studying it, but I kind of moved on to exploring other things more deeply, and some other things fell by the wayside a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You like you and I have never met before, but we. we, It's interesting that we have this kind of parallel um, (laughs) experience because we had the classical background, and then for Mm -hmm. for a good chunk for a good chunk after that, we were both heavy into jazz. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with you venturing off into electronic music and, and different kinds of improvised music and, um, I, in the last few years, and especially since coming to Atlanta, um, have gone back to, you know, the, the music that made me want to play drums in the first place, which is rock yeah, yeah, and pop yeah. and soul and, totally. and all the backbeat stuff, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, hip hop is huge part of my playing for sure too. Like, yeah. I think the first gigs I ever played in New York when I moved here 10 years ago were hip hop gigs um, mm-hmm. like that I found on Craigslist, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you like what what were your first moves kind of uh, on on the New York scene like when you left Juilliard behind and was like I'm yeah. I'm going to be a drummer. Um so it was it was hip hop gigs. I was very much uh uh say yes to everything. Yeah. type of guy especially in college. Um, mm-hmm. But the first steady thing I had was a weekly hip-hop gig in Bed-Stuy. Um, this was 2008, probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe nine. Probably eight. Um, and that's like a very good thing to immerse yourself in <laughs> uh, musically as a drummer, um, hip-hop. So that was great for me. But then I was also doing a lot of different like folk and pop and like rock, definitely, and some stuff that I wasn't into and some stuff that I was into, but I was just figuring out what I was into. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wasn't even like really an electronic guy until like I got my first SPDS. I was playing for this band body language. And that was the first time I played live to click. It was the first time I played using 
triggers or like samplers of any kind. Yeah. And I got into that and uh I don't know, but even now like I I pride myself on like kind of doing pretty different things uh depending on the project and um trying to not like pigeonhole myself as like the sunhouse like electronic dude. Right. Like um I mean at the end of the day I'm still like in terms of like there's like a thing about playing live drums that's like um I can express myself in a certain way way more on a acoustic kit than a sa- like a kit using samples even though with samples I can the breadth of what I can express is like kind of greater but like there's like a certain thing like where there's a comfort with like playing playing an acoustic kit where like um it's it's still still like I like the word breadth. Like the 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 breadth of what you can express is is a lot wider with with yeah. the incorporation of electronics. But there's something about an acoustic kit where it, like it's it's deeper. The immediacy is like super deep, right? Know? And it's breadth versus depth. Yeah, and I, or at least yeah, and I, and I feel like the the um, the range within like within any environment I might have set up on sensory percussion, it's like if, if even though the dynamic range is zero to hundred technically on the computer, it doesn't feel like then the acoustic kit feels like negative fifty to like two hundred or something. You know? <laughs> like there's just yeah something something else um, about that. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. The band you're best known for is, is Sun Lux. Um, so just talk a little bit about how, how and when that band was formed and, and what that, that music is about. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm so bad at remembering when things happened, but <laughs> I can tell you what happened yeah. for sure. Uh, so Ryan Lott from Sunlux has been doing it, I think since like 2008, probably mm-hmm. something like that. Been making weird, like beautifully produced music for a while before I ever met him. Um, and actually, in fact, it's funny because um, I did like this one session a while ago where I was, he did like a remix of a My Brightest Diamond track and he put out like a, re, they put out a joint remix EP thing where like he like remixed a bunch of her tracks, but like they were like super reimagined. So it was like a reimagining of this track that she then wanted to reinterpolate into like a, an acoustic arrangement for mm-hmm. like horns and singers and drummers and stuff. And I I was tasked with like arranging the percussion section for that. And this was like I didn't know Ryan at all. Like I'd never met him. And even after doing through that process, I didn't talk like I'd never met him. But I remember that was the first time I heard anything he had produced and I was like, wow, this is cool. There was like some cool drum drummer stuff and like kind of rhythmic modulation stuff happening in there. 
And I remember being like, who the heck is this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then maybe a couple of years later, um, the guitarist Rafiq in the band, who had already been working with Ryan a bit, um, uh, him and I knew each other through a mutual gig we played once. And mm-hmm. he, he thought of me as someone that might be good for uh, Sun Lux to, because that was like, I think probably 2014 maybe, is when he started to like needed to tour more and stuff. Yeah. So that's how I kind of, got introduced and then it was initially like a hired gun situation but the it kind of just went really well and then we kind of became part of the band yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um so and to talk about that band compositionally Mm -hmm. how did the three of you uh sort of conceive and and navigate uh your songs Ryan's definitely still the captain of that ship, um, and he he generates a lot of the seeds for the songs, the mm-hmm. ideas. But generally, they we kind of don't. Rather than doing the thing where you know we like write maybe like a chord progression and then like a melody and then the song first and then produce it out ele- electronically, it usually starts the other way around for us, where. Um, it usually starts from some sample where we're like, oh my God, that's cool. And if you manipulate it in this way, that's really cool. Yeah. And what if I like manipulate it in this way and like kind of linked it with this other thing? So like that's usually the seed. That's like the heart of something from, and sometimes like that doesn't even end up in the final track, but that's like how we get started building something out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually the, um, the sort of like melody and, lyrics and stuff come last and that comes from Ryan uh, typically mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting because I feel like there's pros and cons to both right like I've run into a lot of issues before in, in the past with projects where the song is completely written you know maybe you've played it live a bunch it works live and it like feels ready to record but then you go in and record it and Maybe it's like you don't have that much time in the studio. You just need to get it done. But like the attention to detail, there's attention to detail in production that gets lost in terms of like how do you make every sound kind of speak to the spirit of the song? Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, and like the timbral makeup of it, especially now. I feel like um, sound, like people are so sensitive to sound and like sound design. Like a lot of the music, like music we listen to has like no harmonic or melodic kind of interest, but it's all like in the sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think people, it's like, it's a big thing now. Like in my opinion, like timbre is big. <laughs> timbre is yeah. hot right now. <laughs> and that's a man that it's interesting. You say that because at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about how our, our mutual problem with electronic music is, is that, um, it just kind of lap lacks a, a humanity and a depth. Yeah. Um, and, and that, I think that's one of the big reasons why is because musicians and producers are, you know, for better or for worse, right or wrong, more fascinated with, with sound than, Mm -hmm. than with, uh, you know, substance or musical content. Totally. I guess the thing that I think is something that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to is that all those things ultimately can work together and make like a really powerful statement in terms of just like a sonic experience where if everything is sort of you know the question i always ask yourself is like well um why am i using this sound for this song you mm-hmm. know and like how does it relate to the song and how does it speak for the song and 
and how does it give it the voice that I want it to have? Mm-hmm. And that can be tricky if you write the song first sometimes. Yeah. Because if you let the song come out of the sounds, then it's automatically going to be kind of like linked to it in that way. You right. Know what I mean? Right. But but sometimes it's also really can be hard to finish something with the melody and, and lyrics. It just depends on who you are. And I'm not like a top line or like song songwriter. Um, so um, not definitely not an expert, but I've collaborated with a lot of songwriters. So. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's good to hear that even, even, you know, with, uh, with electronic sounds, those still have to be uh, a slave to the song and not the other way around. Um, mm-hmm. Cause we mm-hmm. talk on, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot about, how you know even on an acoustic kit you your role is to serve the song oh um, yeah totally. and and you know this I, I think it's 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 good and refreshing and encouraging to to hear that um it it can and should be the same way with electronics yeah yeah the production should serve the song yeah and, yeah and it's funny because sometimes we'll actually produce something that like comes out of you know a beat or whatever first and the song comes and then we're like oh this production is wrong for this. Right. <laughs> and then we'll switch it out. You know, we actually will. But, yeah. um, but it's, it's a question that's good to ask. I think gets overlooked sometimes because yeah. sometimes it's like, sounds good, you know, cool. But like, uh, I feel like sometimes it's not exactly what the artist is trying to say. So right. Like, um, yeah, yeah. a lot of people are just more worried about like, Oh, does this sound like an updated thing? You know? Yeah. It doesn't sound current. Um, right. Right. Um, so like I said, we'll, we'll put some, uh, some videos and links on the, uh, the episode page for the, the sensory percussion stuff, but can, can people get this yet? Can you order it from Sun House? Is it going to show up yeah, in music yeah, stores? Yeah. What, like, yeah, it's, it's on Sweetwater. It's like, you can get it easily. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, the way it works is you, you buy one, two, three or four sensors mm-hmm. and they, come, they all come with the software. Um, I would recommend, Depending on who you are, but I'd recommend like at least two. Mm-hmm. It's not a cheap investment, so I would also do as much research as you can, and if you have any access to try one, try one. Yeah, because it's not necessarily for everyone either. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that would be my suggestion. Well, cool, man. Thank you so much for talking. It was it was really uh, great to hear about this this new technology and just electronics in general. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm gearing up to to get more hip to this stuff, and I think I think a lot of drummers are in that position where for so long we've we've found it intimidating and daunting and and just yeah. like no, um, but you know the more the yeah. more we hear about stuff like this, I think the more approachable it becomes. Yeah, um, and the, you know the important thing to remember, I think, for people who might be listening who are like trying to get into this stuff is there's no like right way to do it. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Find what way works for you and milk it for that. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, um, that's, that's, yeah, there's no like necessary roadmap. I mean, there are standards, but like, I don't know, hopefully you're in a situation where you're being creative and you can like do with it what you feel most honest with him. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think the other thing, like we were about to wrap up, but I just, I thought of one more point is like, mm-hmm. you know, with, with technology, you know, I think one of the reasons it's, it's intimidating is that we feel like if we're not using it to its full potential, then yeah, we, you know, then we shouldn't yeah. bother. Um, but it's like an iPhone, like all, you know, all the things that an iPhone is capable of, most of us don't use half of them. Totally. And especially with like, iPhones. yeah, you with know, something like Ableton, it's like, 
which a lot of people use now. Most of the time when I open someone else's Ableton session, I'm like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> and I spent hours on this thing using yeah. it in my way. And vice versa, when people open mine up, they're like, what? Like, right. this makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, create your own logic. That's my, that's yeah. my, that's my advice. Um, I like it. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be using, you might be using the full potential of like these two features. Right. You know? Right, and like because you, you find yourself obsessed with it, just right. like follow your obsession, you know. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, man, uh, best of luck with the new record. Appreciate um, it. We'll we'll put up a link to that. Yeah. And I don't uh, think I'm I'm not playing Atlanta, but I'm going on tour in October. But unfortunately, Atlanta will be another time. Oh, well, that's a drag. Um, yeah, uh, this will this will probably uh, air right right around. Uh, what when are you leaving for tour? Uh. The first gig's on the 29th or the 30th of this month. It's uh-huh. like three days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you'll be you'll be in the middle of it when we uh, cool. awesome. when we when we put this up. Uh, but man, best of luck and safe travels, and and thanks for talking. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me on the show. Cool, right? If you've been fighting off the electronic thing for a while, like I have, I hope that helped you as much as it helped me. It can be a little intimidating, but it's it's really just more stuff to hit, and hitting stuff is what we do. There's a link to Ian's website on this episode page. Check out his new record and his tour dates. Uh, this episode page also has a feature of him playing the sensory percussion, and I highly recommend you take a look at that. Uh, the term game changer gets tossed around a lot, but I think this technology could be exactly that in the world of electronic percussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media, share pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a rating and review there. That really helps us out. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.